Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison, here to tell you GEICO has more than just great savings. Much more. GEICO's been around for more than 75 years, back when they were using Morse code. Sorry, that's just my sense of humor. What's more, with GEICO, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents on the app, online, or over the phone, so you can talk to them at night or in the morning. So forevermore, just know that no other auto insurer has more more than GEICO. More power to you. GEICO. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. And now, here is your host, the lovely, delightful, insightful, and all-around great gal, Ms. Barbara DeLong. I absolutely don't think I will ever tire of listening to Ken Quiet Hawk talk. And for those of you who are as enamored by his voice as I am, check out his website. It's nativestorytellers.com. He and his wife, Deb, are native storytellers and They are amazing people. They have amazing wisdom to share. And I I feel that that people like them are preserving a part of our antiquity and our history that will be lost if we don't support them. So tonight is, is really a really cool night because tonight I get to turn the tables on Jeffrey Doherty. Um, he has his own podcast and, uh, he, he is happily called the, our friendly neighborhood Christian whistleblower. He is a Bible college graduate and former 20-year-plus Christian minister. He shines the light into the dark corners of religious orthodoxy, freeing the original biblical texts from 2,000 years of suppression and manipulation by scribes, governments, and religions. He believes you have the right to choose your beliefs and you also have the right to as much unbiased information as possible when making those choices. Mark Twain once said, it's easier to fool someone than to convince them they've been fooled. But that doesn't mean Jeff is going to stop trying. 
He's an author, speaker, paranormal, spiritual worker, frequent guest on Coast to Coast AM, U.S. Air Force veteran, and proud father and grandfather. He is definitely a man that, that has credentials literally up the wazoo. He's going to be on my Freedom Slips uh, program uh, in, oh, now you, you, you would think that I would have the brains to tell you the exact date, and I, I am fast going for my calendar to tell you when, uh, because we're going to again be working together, and, and he's sharing his wisdom and his light since uh, my husband, Patrick, passed away. He's going to be on the show October the 9th on Freedom Slips with me. And we're going to be, you know, sharing, again, more philosophical wisdoms and understandings about, about how, how we have, not we have personally, but, but how the, the, the original teachings of, of Jesus have been corrupted over the years and how the true meaning and the true juicy, wonderful, magnificent uh, wisdom that, that has been there for so very, very long has, has sort of been corrupted by churches and even governments. And so we're kind of very excited that, that he's going to be with us tonight. Tonight, we're going to be talking about September 23rd, 2017, the Revelation 12 sign. And it, it, it in of itself is an apocalyptic belief heralding that the time of Jacob's trouble, also known as the tribulation period, may begin on September 23rd, 2017. This theory, which has been promoted by a number of people and news organizations, proposes that a literal fulfillment of the prophecy made in the book of Revelations 12:12 will occur on this date over Jerusalem, and it will herald a time of of tribulation and rapture for some and misery for others, uh, for those who believe this. Now, the end times have been prophesized <laughs> since the beginning of time, I think, probably. Um, there, there have probably only, only over the last couple, four or five hundred years, most probably. Um, it, it is a time frame where people feel that there is going to be a second coming. And in order to prepare for that second coming, um, those that are here that have not been born again in Christ have to go through a period of, of trial and, and, and tribulation. So uh, without further ado, I think Jeff is here. Um, I'm going to just pull him on. Hi, Jeff. Are you there? I'm here. Okay. I was rattling on. Um you can most probably describe um, this time of tribulation better than I, but it, it, it has one of the loveliest names ever put to the study of, and, and that's eschatology. Yeah, that is uh, definitely a, a $5 word if I've ever heard one. And, you know, it's something that most people don't realize, Barbara, that was unheard of for almost 1700 years in the church. And it was a word that was invented actually uh, to counter the Protestant revelation or Protestant uh, reformation. And it's a word that was invented by a Jesuit scholar named Francisco Ribera. So it's a certainly an interesting genesis of that term. And it's very interesting that we have the vast majority of the evangelical 
Christian evangelists and exponents of this eschatology uh, busily and happily and with great glee and enthusiasm preaching a doctrine that was invented uh, from the womb of the Roman Catholic Church and from God's, uh, the Pope's own soldiers, the Jesuit uh, order. But it seems so ridiculous. I mean, when you take a look at it, that for 15 centuries, nothing was made of any of this. And then suddenly some guy writes one book. It shifts the whole focus of, of an entire part of our culture. It just seems, don't they need a little more proof than one book? Well, you would think so, Barbara, and there's, there was a few things happening. I mean, not only was the Protestant Reformation taking place, and the reason that was problematic to the Catholic Church is, you know, for almost 1,600 years, the historical position of the Church had always been that the Book of Revelation, Daniel's 70th week, Matthew 24, all of that was historical. It was uh, emblematic of the rise of the papacy in Rome, which was unanimously uh, viewed as uh, the seat of Antichrist, and it was about the persecution, or at least viewed as the persecution of Rome on you know every other religion and the the rise to supremacy of of Roman Catholicism, and you know for again 1600 years that was the thought, and then all of a sudden here comes the Protestant Reformation, you know people like Martin Luther and Tyndall and Wycliffe and Knox and uh, all of those guys they started preaching, but not only were they preaching because it wasn't uh, too long before that, Barbara, that the printing press was invented. And now Rome had a real problem. You didn't just have a bunch of crazy Protestants running around, you know, like Martin Luther, you know, pounding, you know, nailing up their theses to a church door, or preaching on some street corners. Now you had these people with an invention that really was in that day as profound as the internet was in our day, it allowed them to actually reach scores of people with a message through the printed word. And it was a time where literacy was exploding as well. So Rome had a real pickle on their hands, this exploding Reformation message and the brand new means to propagate it more widely and with greater efficiency than ever before. So they had a real problem, and it was out of this problem that Ignatius of Loyola who was a wounded soldier, no longer able to fight in battle, who decided to start this uh, Jesuit order, and it was called the Society of Jesus. They were called God's or, or the Pope's soldiers, and they really were a, a militaristic type order. And they went in, and it was called the Counter-Reformation, Barbara. There's no secrets about it, and it was designed especially to counter the Protestant Reformation. And how ironic that all of these Protestants now are preaching this message that was created in direct response and as an attempt to counter and shout down the Protestant reformers. And how ironic and how sad, and it's really probably the greatest example of espionage or counter-espionage that I can think of in world history, that you took a message that was being preached against a whole group of people, and now only you know four or 500 years later, you've got all those people preaching that message it really blows your mind when you stop and think about it it does and you know when when i when i look at it it seems to me so very strange that that through time you know a, a good five six seven eight times at least 
you know, the end is near, the end is prophesized, and it doesn't come, and nobody loses faith. Everybody just keeps right on going until somebody sets another date. You know, it, it's really, it, it, it is supremely strange. Kind of in modern times, Barbara, the first time we had it was uh, around 1844. There was a group uh, led by a gentleman named William Miller, and he was a Baptist preacher. And based on his study of Daniel, he concluded and he predicted that the second coming of, of Christ would be in 1844. And like the Revelation 12 sign uh, proponent, he didn't announce an exact date, but he said that it would happen sometime between March of 1843 and March of 1844. And that was really the first great eschatological prediction in our modern era. And, of course, when 1844 passed without Christ's return, uh, the scenario became known as the Great Disappointment. So that was the first one, about 1844. But like you said, strangely enough, it wasn't that much longer. 1914, where the Watchtower Society, which is the forerunner of today's uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they actually were spawned out of William Miller's movement, and they set a date of 1914 for the return of Christ, and they actually set another one for 1974. So even though William Miller had failed, you know, they rushed in where angels feared to tread, and the Watchtower Society, you know, picked 1914, and then Jehovah's Witnesses picked 1944. And those of us that are, you know, our age and maybe a little older, Barbara, we can remember 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. You remember that, oh, right? Oh, yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> And that was Edgar Wisenon. And this wasn't a stupid guy, Barbara. He was a NASA engineer. No, they were good and reasons. Pred- yeah, I, they were great reasons. And he predicted the rapture would occur in 1988. But, of course, it didn't happen in 1988, even though he sold 4.5 million copies of his books and gave out millions more, or actually about 300,000 to ministers. I got one of them. And, I mean, it went so far as the, the Christian Trinity Broadcasting Network, which was the one with Paul and Jan, they were interrupting uh, programming to provide special instructions to prepare for the rapture. But, of course, no rapture. And then 2011, Family Radio, a man named Harold Camping, which I'm sure that you'll remember. And, again, not a stupid guy. He was in more than 150 markets in the United States. And he actually predicted that Christ was going to return on October 21st of 2011. And again, it didn't happen. Then we had the blood moon craze of 2015. And yet in the midst of all this, like you say, this date setting frenzy continues to go. And now we have people, you know, uh, you know, people as, uh, as reputable as L.A. Marzulli and uh, Scott Clark uh, prophesying. And I've got them on tape saying, well, to put it, to quote Mr. Marzulli accurately, he said, I'm not saying the rapture is going to happen on September 23rd, but all the signs are sure pointing to it happening that way. Okay. so Some people just never quest- learn, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in, in, in some ways, I, I sometimes believe that, that the Bible is allegorical. If that's the case, then, then, of course, it would, be, it would disappoint so many people. But what if the coming of Christ is the opening of the Christ consciousness within all humanity. I think that's a great concept. And if you go back, and I think you're 100% right, and if you go back to the exact words of the Christ, 
in the book of Luke, there's an amazing scenario. The Pharisees come to the Christ and they're saying, hey, listen, show us, tell us what's going to be the signs of your second coming. What kind of signs can we look for? What can we see in the heavens? What can we see in the earth? And it's exactly what we're talking about, Barbara. The religious people come to Christ and they say, hey, tell us how we're going to know that your second coming is here. And Christ says something remarkable. He says to them, the, coming, the second coming, the coming of the kingdom of God does not occur with any observable signs. And he tells them, you're not going to be able to look over here and say, oh, this is happening. You're not going to be able to look over there and say, oh, that's happening. He says the kingdom doesn't come with any observable signs. And then he goes on and gives them the key, which echoes what you just said. He said the kingdom of God is in you. And then he added, by the way, it's only a wicked and an adulterous generation that seeks after signs. And even after that rebuke from the Christ himself, we still have these people lining up to ignore what he said and make these crazy predictions. And, you know, my question, and I know this is a little bit harsh, but if the Christ said it's a wicked and an adulterous generation that seeks after signs, which one are these people that are still telling us about signs? Exactly. Well, what gets me is, and, and you know, um, while I believe the Bible is allegorical, I, I do believe that Jesus existed and that his teaching, his peer teachings, um, were absolute truth. I, I, I think they've been adulterated, but... But frankly, after what we did to him the last time he was here, I wouldn't blame him for not coming back. (laughs) Well, would you? Um, And not only that, but if he did, if that aspect did come back, maybe he would come back as a woman this time. I mean, that would would balance the male-female aspect of of, of sharing wisdom, and that would outrage a lot of people. So that might be fun. But, But I truly believe that... That the, the, the intention was for us to grow in wisdom in spirit, and that's that's where the born again comes. He, you know, when when he says no, you you can't get there unless you're born again in me. And one of his disciples said, you know, how do you expect me to do that? And and he basically said, you're born again at death when you become spirit. You are born again in Christ. And and I don't understand why that has been so misinterpreted, but it has been. So. So we've got all of these astrological things that are happening on the 23rd of September. Um, you know, planets coming into conjunction and all sorts of stuff like that. And and is that is what they're talking about, you know, as far as, um, you know, the, the, the second coming is coming? You know, it's interesting, Barbara, that you mentioned what if the Christ came back as a woman this time? And I don't know how far out you, uh, you want to get on this, but uh, it's my belief, and I've just been uh, talking about this on my YouTube channel, and I'm in the process of finishing up a book on it. If we look in the book of Genesis at the literal uh, Hebrew translation, and if we also look at the Nag Hammadi scriptures, uh, specifically the Gospel of Philip, it teaches that actually the goddess... Sophia did incarnate in Eve. I actually think it was Lilith, but that's something yeah. that uh, takes a little bit of uh, of extrapolation. But the, oh, the no, goddess did actually, 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. I feel much better about it already. <laughs> but the <laughs> goddess incorporated or incarnated in a woman, and she specifically did so to help us remember that we are not these meat suits. We are not these bodies, that we are a spiritual being. And to keep that hope alive in us and the reality of that so we can one day realize it's time to get out of these. So in a very real sense, the first Christ, Barbara, was Sophia incarnating in Eve. So the first Christ really was female, and that makes sense because we all know ladies first. And then when Jesus came, the Christ, you know, he incarnated and, and was the male completion of it. And, I, and again, and I'll just throw this out there because I think this is one of the reasons why this, revelation, or this September 23 Revelation 12 thing is being ballyhooed about so much is because were you at, did you have a chance to see the uh, full solar eclipse that just recently happened? No, it didn't happen. Well, I saw it on TV. I, it didn't happen where I am. Gotcha. Barbara, I, I felt a, a very strong compulsion and not like a possession or anything, but just a strong compulsion. And I'm here in uh, the Bay area, Tampa Bay area, Florida. So I got in my car and I drove 12 hours up to my buddy's house in Nashville which was right in the zone of complete totality. And I was able to view that, uh, that eclipse the, in complete totality. And it was one of the most moving and profound uh, scenarios that I've ever been involved with, Barbara. It was, it was tremendous. And I think it was a real spiritual um, experience. And I'm, I'm fully convinced, and I have a lot of Gnostic friends that are concurring with me, that it actually was the arising of the goddess Sophia, her, uh, they call it Sophia's correction, where she in, in, incarnated in humans to help us overcome the fact that she created a being on her own without her male consort that caused us a lot of problems. And I really believe that that solar eclipse was the beginning and the, the sign of Sophia rising, the moon being the emblematic of feminine spirituality going up and merging with the sun, which is emblematic of male spirituality. And from Earth, you had that whole view of male and female spirituality clearly emblazoned to us. And with Sophia now risen, something that hasn't been available to us since the time that she went into her correction. And if you turn around and look at it from the sun, and as being a man, this struck me as very profound. If you're looking from the sun towards that eclipse, what you're seeing is just the sun reflected right back to you. You're seeing the hyper-masculinity reflecting back in your face. You're seeing the errors of hyper-masculinity. You're seeing the excesses of hyper-masculinity. And it allows you to realize and understand that, whoa, we have gone to the masculine side. So as we look from Earth, we can realize it is time for us not to go to hyper-femininity, but to come into a balance. And I think that that eclipse was a tremendous sign for all of us to realize that this is a time for realization and acceptance and growth in a balanced male-female spirituality. And I think it's going to be a time of profound uh, revelation for us. And interestingly enough, in seven years, there's going to be another total eclipse. And these uh -huh. September 23 people want to tell us it's seven years of tribulation. But the truth is, Barbara, it's seven years of jubilation as we grow and develop and come into our fullness of the balance between the male and female divinity. And this great event has been overshadowed and downplayed, and I think by design, by this whole September 23, Revelation 12, fear, doom, gloom, tribulation. Now, I know that's probably some conjecture, but I, I feel that as strongly as anything that I've felt in my 36 years now of, 
I guess we would call it ministry or, 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 or rab- flapping my gums and hoping somebody will listen every now and then. <laughs> well, you know, we had, we had the progression of the equinoxes um, a month or so ago that, that happened that, that occurs only once every, gosh, 30,000 years or so. So the veils are thinning so that the element of consciousness is becoming more and more awake and alive and I would say tuned. And I, and I, 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 in my experience, I'm finding most people are experiencing that, that slight sense of vertigo, that, that sense of floaters in their eyes from time to time, that they are coming more and more aware of the light that is within them and how they have the power to do whatever they need to do to learn the lessons the spirit needs this lifetime. So that, so that having, having a group of people trying to end the earth over and over and over and over again, and not succeeding, I might add, there, there is a group, I, I believe, of Christians that feels that, that, that Christ won't come back until we're right on the edge of totally destroying ourselves and the planet. So, um, you know, they're pushing for all sorts of nuclear disasters and stuff like that. I personally don't believe that. I, I personally believe that it is the Christ consciousness that is available to all of us that is waking up within us. And in many cases, causing emotional instability while, while, while the physical materialistic parts of us struggle to get a balance between the spiritual that is becoming more and more profound within each of us. Hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that. And I was kind of a set back in my chair because you mentioned that uh, you feel like the, the veil is thinning. And I, as I was there in that full solar eclipse and it was happening, the totality happened. I had just the most distinct impression, Barbara, that the veil was thinning to the point of almost being permeable. And I actually got a lot of messages from the other side to give to people. And it was very profoundly thin thinning. And I think that, as you said, it is an opening and you said that vertigo, it's, it's very interesting to me uh, since that time, every now and then I get this flash of vertigo. I, you know, I used to be a guy that would drink some beers and I remember drinking too many of them and it feels like the room is spinning and every now and then I'm being hit with that. So yeah, I am actually experiencing that, and it really is. It struck me when you said that. And one of the sad things about this whole September 23, Revelation 12 sign is it's so built on this idea of building a future temple, uh, having a future Antichrist, having a future tribulation. And part of that, uh, Barbara, is all Islamic mosque, the Mosque of Omar, the Dome of the Rock standing, where uh, these people believe the new Jewish temple has to be built and it doesn't take a a rocket scientist to figure out that you've got to blow up that, um, you know, Muslim shrine there to make way for this Jewish temple. And how long is it going to take before this, this hysteria about this September 23 sign and the rest of eschatology causes some uh, unbalanced individual to attempt or, you know, heaven forbid, actually, succeed in doing violence or blowing up or attempting to blow up that mosque. Could you imagine the tremendous firestorm that would set off in our world? Oh, it would cause war. And the reality is, though, that that the temple that needs to be rebuilt is the one inside of ourselves. And Absolutely. 
it, it, to me, it, it, well, you know, it's, if one book could make this big a difference after 15 centuries, it seems to me that another analytical book of looking at these signs and, and referring them to personal, internal, spiritual development might be able to swivel things around yet again because because in my opinion and it's just my opinion but i believe that there is not a person antichrist but rather anyone who is against the teachings of jesus would be an antichrist against christ against his teachings and when you get right down to it his teachings flow into and and are very comfortable in every major religion out there they, you know, they That's may be absolutely fra- correct. They may be phrased differently, but but everybody's getting the same message if you're going to the purity of the message. I mean, if you're taking the church out of it and you're putting a spiritual message out there, everybody's saying the exact same thing, whether it's Native American or Hindu or Muslim or or Farsi or whatever. It 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 all comes down to the golden rule, among other things, but the message is the same and you know we may hear it in different languages but it's the same message and our consciousness the spirit within us um speaks every language love speaks every language and Absolutely. you know so that so that maybe this particular September 23rd singles signals in in a way a shift of consciousness as opposed to massive tribulation on the physical, because after all, frankly, I don't, I don't see Christ coming back as much as us finding him inside of ourselves. And it could be the beginning of that journey. And is that a turbulent one? Absolutely. Is there a rapture? You know, you experienced a rapture when you saw the eclipse. I've had those. I've had a couple of those mountaintop experiences in my life as well, and and it is rapturous. But but it doesn't have to be related to a religion or a text. It is it is something that we are experiencing on a physical level, and it's you know I I I do believe that that um, I I frankly believe that that St. John was talking about, you know, the Romans and the Greeks and all of those guys. I, I do believe that he would, was, you know, referring to his time, but we do repeat history so that those times are coming over and over again. I mean, there, there, there's always going to be, you know, uh, a powerful something that is trying to control the masses. I mean, that's just the way life has been so that you could, you could put, the time frame you could transcend it, you know, thousands of years, hundreds of years. It's repeat. It repeats itself. So that so that the situation repeats itself. The way we react to it does not have to repeat itself. Right, right. And you know, my my position, Barbara, is that people have the right to believe whatever they want to believe. Uh-huh. And I further believe that people have the right to as much information as possible in making that decision. So if people want to believe the September 23rd, 2017 revelation 12 sign crowd, they're welcome to do so. But I think they are owed the information that until 1585, when the Jesuit priest Francisco Ribera wrote his book, which uh, translated into English as the sacred writings of John, the apostle, 
and the commentary on the apocalypse or the book of revelation he wrote that in 1585 barbara you know the the apostolic era was over in about ad 100 when john mm-hmm. penned the book of, of revelation so from 100 to 1585 every single church father church mother church sister church brother everybody unanimously believed that the book of daniel the book of revelation all of that was fulfilled the temple being rebuilt was never thought of they all knew that it was these scriptures were referring to the destruction of the temple in jerusalem in 70 a.d they all knew the tribulation referred to the rise of the Catholic Church and its suppression of other religions. They all knew that these seals and vials and trumps that Revelation talks about had all already been fulfilled by A.D. 70. And it wasn't until 1585 where this Jesuit scholar said there's going to be a future Antichrist. There's going to be a future tribulation. There's going to be a new temple built. There's going to be a mark of the beast in the future. There's going to be chopping off of heads in the future. It wasn't until he wrote that that anyone even conceived of that, Barbara. And we have to realize the reason he wrote it is because the Protestant Reformation, one of the, the planks of the Protestant Reformation, along with justification by faith, along with uh, indulgences being a bad thing, the third prong of that was that the Pope is the Antichrist and the Roman Catholic Church is the expression of Antichrist. And this whole idea of eschatology was invented to counter the Reformation's claims that the Pope was the Antichrist and the system of Rome was the Antichrist system. So you can believe what these September 23 people are teaching you, but it's a Johnny-come-lately doctrine. It's a doctrine that Luther opposed, Wycliffe opposed, Tyndall opposed, every one of the other Protestant reformers opposed, and everybody until 1585 opposed it. And for our, our Baptist friends out there and our non-Pentecostal friends that are believing this, this doctrine was reunited or was reignited in the modern era by a Pentecostal lady giving a message in tongues and interpretation in tongues that C.I. Schofield, who wrote the Schofield Bible, heard and put into his Bible. And that's how we've got it here today because that Bible became the de facto textbook for all the early Protestant Bible Institute. So it's a wild and winding road, but here we are preaching Jesuit doctrine as evangelicals and swearing on it and calling everybody else that uh, would dare to disagree antichrist and uh, crazy people. Well, how come it, you know, assuming that the Bible is inspired text and um, I, I asked my son is a fundamental Christian, and, and so, which makes for interesting dinner talk. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Spirit has a very good sense of humor here. So, so assuming that the Bible is all inspired writings, and, and apparently God decided not to inspire anymore, and the Bible is it, how did this lady's speaking in tongues get into the Bible? Well, that's a really good question. And to me, it's a huge assumption to assume that the Bible is completely, totally inspired. Now, there was a day I believed that 100%. And now I'm, I'm at the place where Thomas Jefferson came to. The Bible is filled with some of the most divine and high-minded 
in helpful writings that have ever been presented to humanity. The Bible does have in the teachings of the Christ some of the the best, most uh, uplifting information that's ever been presented to humanity. And it also has a whole lot of other stuff from lesser minds and from deceiving minds. And as, as Jefferson put it, uh, the teachings of Christ are like diamonds sprinkled among dung. And I believe he's right. By my estimation, it's about 70, 30, uh, Barbara, on the dung side. But mm. saying all that, to realize that the Bible is not every jot, every tittle, every line inspired uh, by God. And think about this. Even if you believe that it is, Barbara, if you believe the King James Version, most people believe, is the inspired written word of God, what you have to realize is that, first of all, it was written under Roman rule in the first century in Judea. And under Roman rule, there was a guy called a censor. It was an office called a censor, a C-E-N-S-O-R. We know the word censorship today. And that person's job was to read and vet every bit of a writing that was published by a conquered people to make sure that it wasn't seditious towards Rome. So your mm-hmm. New Testament today, the Bless God King James Version, was read, vetted, and approved by none other than the Roman Empire, a world-ruling government. And not only that, Barbara, come down to King James' time. King James was, for, for all intents and purposes, the world ruler in the British Empire. And guess what? They also read, edited, vetted, and approved and published their own Bible. And for those that say, oh, you can't take anything out of the Bible because Revelation says it'll take away your place in the book of life. I just happened to read a very, very interesting book the other day called The Real Apocrypha by some fellow named Patrick Cook that shows that the King James Version has been emasculated to a great degree by the Apocrypha being ripped out of it. And it was in the original King James Version. That can't be denied. So you've got to come to the place of realization that what you're reading does contain the words of God, but it is not the words of God in totality. And it is, I mean, would people accept a Barack Obama authorized version? Would people accept a Donald Trump authorized version? That's exactly what we're accepting. You also, one should um, research King James as well. Because King James, he, he was a dirty old man. And, to think that his Bible is in every hotel room in the world makes the skin crawl because King James was not exactly one of your more saintly people. And I won't go into details, but I, I sent, send everybody to Google to, to take a look at the life of King James because Absolutely. he was not saintly for sure. Um, but, but and not Patrick, to mention, Barbara, that the, the text of the King James Version was in the exclusive possession of Francis Bacon for an entire year after it was supposedly done before it was published. So what was going on with that? I I wasn't there. I don't know, but it it was it had to be for some reason that it wasn't published. And the, and then they started to take stuff out like reincarnation and stuff like that. When when they had um one of the councils and I can't remember which one it was, but one, in one of the places where they took out a great, great many of, of the books of the Apocrypha, 
one of the reasons they took it out was there was a paper shortage and they had to shorten it in order to print it. That was from Patrick that's, too. That's amazing. I mean, I, I, I haven't read far enough to have read that one, but can you imagine that people basing their entire spiritual foundation on a book that's been altered due to a paper shortage. And it's, it, it's very, very sad. And it, I just, my, my heart's desire is that people would actually get to the place where they realize that your spirituality is not contained in books. It's not contained in bricks. It's not contained in mortar. It's not contained in buildings. It's not even contained in other people. The Christ said the kingdom of God, this spark of divinity is within you. And I'm just, working and, and hoping and doing all I can to bring about a day when people will begin to realize like never before, I do have the spark of divinity within and I don't need to look at somebody else or look somewhere else. All I have to do is look within me to find divinity and then do like the Christ said, follow the ways and the truths that lead to life and life more abundant. I, I'm convinced that day is coming. I'm convinced that uh, the eclipse started something special and I'm convinced this, rep, this September 23 thing is to distract us and keep us from moving into a higher and a greater and a, and a, a more precious place in the spirit. Well, I think that in spite of everything that's going on, that, that, the, that the awareness, that the uh, consciousness is coming closer and closer and closer to the surface. And, and so, you know, people, you know, you can't hold back a tsunami, by throwing grains of sand at it. And hmm. that's what it feels like is going on. The fact that there is this openness, there is there this awareness. And, and I do see it and I feel it in, in so many people, there's a, there's a, a new light that, that people are reaching for. And it, it's not I'm against churches, but I'm against churches telling people that that's the only place they can get to God. And so, you know, it, it's to me, it's kind of like, you know, okay, so, so now, now you have the, the aspect of you have a spirit, you have a part of the, of, of the creator within you and it's becoming more and more profoundly a part of your everyday life, the, uh, the way you live, the way you talk, the way that you help others. And so that, that to me is, is worship and ministry. It's not sitting in a, in, in, a, in a building and letting somebody blast you with what they believe the truth to be. So, so it's, and, and even Jesus said to pray in a, you know, by yourself in a closet that those people that prayed in groups only did it to prove that they could pray. And, and, and it was, it was basically stroking their ego. The prayer is a personal thing that you do quietly by yourself. You don't do it in groups. And I'm not sure Absolutely. exactly where it is, but it's someplace in the Bible there. Um, Patrick had a photographic memory so that, so that um, he could chapter and verse you up the wazoo. I don't happen to have that kind of memory. But, I, you know, the things that are most profound do, do float to the surface for me. And it just, to me, this is, we're coming into a time where it, it is, there is going to be trepidation as people are beginning to have to reshuffle their lives. To, to, to shift their value systems around, to come to a better balance within. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and you know, it, it, when, when we come to a greater awareness 
and we realize that there there is not a balance in our lives, yes, there's tribulation, but there's nothing wrong with that either because it means we're bringing ourselves back into the balance that we were supposed to have in the beginning. So, Absolutely. So all, all of this is a really good thing. It's just that I don't see somebody walking out of the clouds and, you know, with a, with a, an army of angels behind him. I, I just, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure that we attacked and think it was an alien. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I, I, as religious as some people are, they, I think they would take a look at it and say, nah, that's gotta be a hologram, you know? <laughs> so I hope so, you're right. I really do. But you know, the, the, one of the things that's being pitched by the, September 23, Revelation 12 sign crowd is that this is once in 7,000 years. This is a totally unique event. This is something that hasn't happened in 7,000 years. It's tremendous. It's, it's amazing. It's remarkable. And the reality is, Barbara, that that is either some of the worst scholarship that we've ever seen or outright lies this is not a momentous sign it's not something that hasn't happened once in seven thousand years in fact it's rather mundane uh i there's a a, a astronomer named christopher graney who uh, wrote an article for earth sky that states he went back a thousand years in uh, all of the astrological mapping and he's found this same exact configuration of stars the same exact alignment has happened six times in the last thousand years and he said i'm confident if i went back two three four thousand years i'd find it at least as many times in each of those millennia as well so the idea that it hasn't happened in seven thousand years is either gross poor scholarship or outright lies and the fact of it is that most of these things happen every year and some of them happen every month so it is not unique and it's like these fellows again you know over the over the eons we've had these people making predictions and here these guys go again it's not unique it's happened at least six times in the last thousand years and i'm pretty confident that the second coming of christ the tribulation the temple all that stuff hasn't happened six times in the last thousand years you could correct me if i was wrong about that barbara oh i would but i i think you're right um but at the same time don't you think that these are times when when people awake to a greater sense of what's inside of them so that so that it may cause some tribulation i I think those people though that 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 you know believe word for word and and are frightened and are i mean I know a couple people that that are are truly they believe it so much that they're out you know charging their credit cards up and it's like you know, geez, I wouldn't do that because you're going to have to pay this off. <laughs> I've met those people, Barbara, and it is it is because of these September 23 evangelists that they are causing this type of hysteria. And sooner or later, in some way or another, they're going to have to answer for that. Well, yeah, it pr- it'll probably be after they've crossed over. I mean, and then they won't have to answer. Then they'll look back and, the, and they'll say to themselves, boy, I was dumb. Uh, you know, because there is no judgment when you die. I, I believe. I, I, I believe it's a, it's a reassessing of the lessons that you've learned and, and trying to figure out how you're going to do better next time. Um, just I, I know that people that are out there 
preaching the end is near and, and if you want to be saved, you have to be born again in Jesus Christ. I, we all have a part of Christ in us. So absolutely, there's no need to be born again. Once was enough. And, and, but embracing that part of us and, and anybody who has a Bible, pick it, pick it up, open it up. Everything that he said is in red. So just read that stuff. You know, forget. The I agree with you a hundred percent. And the, the message stuff. of the Christ, the message of the Christ, I believe is the most profound revelation that's ever been given to us. And, you know, what he said literally in the, the New Testament Greek is that he brought us the best of all the ways of human spirituality, the best of all the truths of human spirituality, and gave it to us in a workable system that if we follow it, it leads to life and life more abundant. And he also said that he, he leaves peace with us, peace not as the world gives, but peace that passes all understanding. And I'm convinced that anything that conjures up fear, dread, worry, horror, like the September 23 thing that goes completely against the peace of Christ cannot possibly be of the Christ. Well, not, not only that, but if, if what, what these fundamentalists are saying um, held true, it would mean, you know, and I pointed out to my son, he said, just, just Christians are being taken up. And I said, you sure about that? And he said, yeah. I said, people that have been born again in Christ. He said, yep. I said, so if Jesus was here, he wouldn't because he was a Jew. And You know, Barbara, I sat and listened to um, L.A. Marzulli on Coast to Coast a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a week ago. And George Norrie was asking him about, you know, how many people if the rapture happened was going to go. And here's, you know, Marzulli trying to be I, nice, I assume. And he says, well, there's about 8 billion people on planet Earth. And by the time he was talking about all those that are spirit-filled and born again and all those that would make and all those that wouldn't, out of 8 billion people, Barbara, he had worked himself down to less than half a million people that were acceptable to his God. And with all due respect to L.A. Marzulli and the contributions he's made to our genre, if his God is only interested in less than 500,000 people out of 8 million I have no interest in his God, and I submit to you that that is not the God of the universe. If seven and a half billion people are bound for some <laughs> fiery lake, they're going to burn well, and torture forever. That's not the God of the Bible, not in not in my eyes. Well, no, and and you know if you're if you're looking at a universal consciousness, the creator of all that is, he created everybody. There's a piece of him in everybody, and trust me. Um, if we are children of a consciousness, that consciousness is going to treat us all alike. No matter how good or bad we are, we all get saved. And, and it's, it's not a matter of being saved. You know, what are we saved from? We're saved from um, <laughs> That's my big question. Ignorance. Saved from what? Yeah. I, I just, it, the earth is not coming to an end anytime soon it's been here millions of years it has had five total um absolute extinction experiences in those 45 million years that it's been here so it's wiped itself clean a lot of times and started over again and it, it may do it again and again but the planet is fine it's humanity that is having trouble and it it's 
it's sort of like I take a look at all of this and I think of, well, I'm just like you. I have, I have a, a, a spark of the infinite inside of me. You do too. That means we're family. So, yeah, and, and it, it doesn't mean you have to like everybody, but you do have to love everybody. Um, it's like any family. You know, there, there are cousins and aunts and uncles that are just crazy and don't want to be around and there are people, you know, in your family that you do. But, but we have to start looking at the fact that we are the family of man and woman. Um, and, and I think, I think it's happening but it's, it, it's, it's, it's moving slowly, but that's okay. We have millions and millions of years. But, but to get that awareness and to bring it out and to make it a part of our life makes our life more richer and more vibrant and, and in technicolor. And if you don't have that awareness in you, if you haven't opened up to the spirit that's within, then basically your life is usually black and white. So it's, it's mm, you very know. profound. It's, it's your perception of it. Your perception of reality creates it so that, so that if the end is near, then maybe it is for you. Maybe you, you have decided that, that you're going to have to struggle this lifetime and maybe that's your thing. And that's why you came into this incarnation to, to have challenges that made you struggle that, you know, and if that's, if that's what you came in here for, if that's what you're getting, you're doing a good job. But that doesn't have to be my way. And, Absolutely. And, and I agree with you 100%. And the, the sad part to me is that we have you know, all of the Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, that teach this concept of original sin, which means that you're born from your first breath with original sin. You're dirty, rotten sinner from the time that you, know, you come out of your mother. And that puts us in a position of where we think that we are sinners and even when these christians get saved born again quote unquote they're still just sinners saved by grace so there's this idea of guilt there's this idea of unworthiness there's this idea of inherent sin and when we look at ourselves we can't help but see it and barbara when we look at other people we we even if we don't do it cognitively we're saying if i'm filled with sin then that means this other person over here is filled with sin so I better not really trust them. I better keep them at arm's length. It feeds that us versus them divide and conquer mentality. But when you realize that the Christ said, I've got the spark of divinity within, and you begin uh-huh. to realize, oh, I've got divinity in me, and then you realize, oh, these other people have divinity in them, it completely changes the paradigm. Now, instead of looking for reasons to keep them at arm's length, you're looking for reasons to bring them into your circle because you realize they're not sinners that you have to be worried about, like you have said so profoundly, they're brothers and sisters with the same spark of divinity within them so we can put our arms around each other instead of raise our fists towards each other. And I'm convinced that Christianity is bringing up these signs and these wonders and division because they don't want us figuring out that it's not us four and no more in each of these individual and several churches, but we've got the spark of divinity in all of us, every single one of us. And if we start pulling together, then we will realize that real true spirituality begins at home and within our own hearts. And we won't be so free with giving our money and our time to these religious institutions. Well, that's what um, every, every year I do forecasts for the following year. And um, they're, they're on my website. Oh, oh, 
I'm just yeah, I I always forget to ask people where they can find you. Uh, your website is. I got rid of well, Barbara, the, the easiest way for people to find me is just go on YouTube and put in Jeffrey Darty, put in Jeff Darty, put in Christian Whistleblower, <clears throat> and that pulls up my YouTube channel. That's a that's a one stop shop for all my heresy and voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also a link there to my website, which is jeffreydarty.com. But if you just okay. go to the YouTube channel, Jeffrey Darty YouTube, just Google it, it'll bring it right up. Or Christian Alrighty. whistleblower YouTube, it'll bring it right up. That's the easiest way. Yeah, I know. I just, I before we, you know, keep going, I wanted to make sure we got that out there because I'm terrible at putting, at, at remembering to put up uh, websites and stuff like that. Um, but, I appreciate. But, it. Can I ask you a question, Barbara? Sure. I love your your optimistic attitude, and I think you're right, but. And it, it still bothers me when you've got, like, let's just take, for example, YouTube. If you put out a YouTube video that is uh, pro-September 23, Revelation 12 sign, you'll get tens and thousands of views on that video. If you put up mm-hmm. one that calls into question September 23, Revelation 12 sign, you'll get hundreds of hits on that video. Why? Well, because first of all, fear is much easier to sell than faith. Mm, right. And and second of all, uh, it, it it's it's easier for people to wrap themselves around the fear than to wrap themselves around something that is faith um, faith based. Uh, and and it's to me, it's it's always a dilemma seeing seeing these people who. I, you know, first of all, we'll commit suicide when we get close to an astrological event that's, that signals the change or, 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 or the shifting of consciousness or whatever. Um, it's, we are a spirit in a human body having a human experience. We're, we're, not, we're not having a spiritual experience. We're having a human experience. We're a spirit. And because of that, um, we we experience all of the things, the emotions, and everything that that come with the physical reality. But you know, we have we're body, mind, and spirit, and our our body and our mind, our soul. Once we pass over, they deteriorate, but the spirit moves on. So that so that all of this stuff that's going on here, we get so. Um, wrapped up in the physical reality, we forget that we're really a spirit on a journey through a dimension that has a physical reality. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. It just, sometimes it does get frustrating. And just like Mark Twain said, it's, it's much easier to fool someone than to convince them they've been fooled. And even though it does get irritating sometimes and challenging, uh, I'm not ready to to quit trying. Well, actually, you know, I I I understand your frustration. I would I would be too. I mean, um, you you know, you've got a lot of very positive books out there, and yet people, you know, tend to go towards the scary ones. But what what if it's just a matter of um, marketing? What if instead of marketing the positive in you know a gentle way, what if you come about it with you know you know, the world is changing, you know, buckle up, get ready to move on because you have a crisis consciousness inside of you and your life is going to change. What if you make it a, 
more, not fearful, but, but what if you hype it in the other direction? I mean, you know, I, I, I am not a Pollyanna, but I do prefer to look at the simple truths as opposed to, you know, the ones that people have to talk for hours on to explain to me why my life is, is full of crap because it's not. Um, but it's, it's so much easier to go down that sad pathway than to go towards a positive pathway. It's work. And, and a, a human incarnation is a place where we're working and we're working towards a greater understanding, acceptance, and awareness of the spirit that rides within. And it's a real simple thing. If you, if you look at difficulties that come your way, I talked to a lady today who, who, um, very busy lady, but she just broke her foot. And, and instead of feeling sorry for herself, she said, I wrote three books. They're all published. It's fabulous. I got a chance to finally do the things that I had been planning on doing. And she said, I, she, she writes music. She, she writes for Broadway. She said, I got so much work done. It was such a wonderful thing that I broke my foot. And instead of, oh, my God, I broke my foot, I can't do this, I can't do that, it's so sad, it was like, look at all I've done. And, and you know, she said to me, you know, it's a shame the doctor says I can, you know, get this boot off my foot next week, but I have so much more I want to do, I may just keep it on to make sure that I hold myself in place. So that things that are of a, I, I, I say this often, and, and, and so many people look at me like I'm an absolute idiot. But the greatest tragedies are merely the vehicle for the most amazing miracles that have yet to be claimed. That's so true. I, I, that is so true. And you know, we, we, if we can get ourselves to the point where we can, you know, have that perspective, we'll certainly, you know, help ourselves out uh, tremendously. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, that, that you celebrate the death of a child or a husband or something like that. But, but in retrospect, when you see the changes in your life because of those experiences, positive and they can be miracles and they can be amazing. Um, my, my late husband died five years ago, almost six years ago. And we had a wonderful partnership. We wrote wonderful things together. And yet had he not died... I would not be where I am today. I wouldn't have gone out on my own. I wouldn't have, I, and my philosophy wouldn't be what it is today. I mean, I, I, I never agreed with him totally. And I, I, I sent him into sputtering fits all over the place from time to time, but I learned a lot <laughs> from him and he learned a lot from me. You know, it was like, we, we had an agreement. I believed in reincarnation and he did not. And so when he was diagnosed with, with stage four cancer and he only had a few months to live and, you know, we were talking one night and he said, well, I guess we're going to find out. And I said, I guess so. And cause we had always said, whoever goes first, will find out if it was in true, if, if there was reincarnation and come back and tell the other one. And um, so I haven't heard from him. So I would assume I was right. And he's just too pig headed to let me know. <laughs> Well, you know him best, so I would I would have to agree with you. But what a what a what a great relationship it sounds like you had, and I'm really enjoying uh, diving into his wisdom and, and these books you sent me. A profound writer and a deep thinker, 
and it's just it's a it's a pleasure to to have these and i wish he'd have been around i think we could have been uh good friends and i would have loved to hear what he had to say about this whole september 23 revelation 12 sign well he he felt that the two witnesses have already come and gone and he's right he he said no no they're not coming they've been and gone and uh he was he was um, and he did call himself an eschatologist. He did study end times, and he was firmly convinced that uh, that it didn't refer to to this present time frame. That that I don't know what it refers to. Uh, I believe it was allegory. I believe that that the, uh, is there a second coming? I absolutely believe it, and I believe it's in every one of us. Um, but I don't believe that that it's going to be there's going to be tragedy. And, and as far as all that crap about the mark of the beast and everything, give me a break. I, I mean, that's just, that's just something that somebody would put in there to scare people. And, and again, that was not inspired talking. I'm, I'm sorry. I know it's a nun who said it, but I don't buy it. You're, you're exactly, you're absolutely right. And you know, that was, part of the you know part of the jesuit doctrine and the jesuit you know espionage uh, program that they called it the counter-reformation i didn't call it that and it's just amazing that you know you know the baptist people today you know there's you know there's a lot of them and they're very much against you know their their pentecostal friends but every one of these baptist folks and these methodist folks and these episcopalian folks that are believing in the rapture would have never heard about it if it wasn't for that Pentecostal lady uh, named Mary, of all things, uh, over in uh, the United Kingdom, giving this tongues and interpretation in tongues, I just happened to find its way in the Schofield Reference Bible, and that's how it became the de facto doctrine of the you know, Protestant uh, evang- evangelical movement. And here we are. It just blows my mind that the, the Jesuits were able to pull off the most amazing counter-espionage, I think, event in history where they've got everybody, all the Protestants preaching what they invented to counter the Protestant Reformation. It boggles the mind when you sit down. Truth really is stranger than fiction, Barbara. Well, when you, when you look at Constantine putting together a Bible, giving, that, giving Eusebius and Helena a time frame to work in, that he wanted a Bible by this date. I mean, that's when, when you think about what this book has meant to millions upon millions of people and how it was put together in the first place. And then, and then, you know, they, they selected what texts would weave a story. It's, it's not, it's not like these were the only texts and here they are. It's, they had, thousands upon thousands of, of tablets and texts and, and, and writings and, and gospels according to, you know, Yehudi and all of the guys. I mean, it, it was so randomly selected that, that it gave us a book that people have lived their lives by. And the only, the only constant were those words of Jesus. And it's I mean, so amazing to me that, you know, back when I was, you know, a Protestant minister, I believed from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 that it was all 
the word of God, every bit of it. And then to look at myself today, believing about 25 to 30% of it is the word of God. And I'm a much more devoted and I think much more realistic and true follower of the message of Christ today, believing 25% of it than I ever was believing 100% of it. And I remember the day that I realized, Barbara, that I looked at the New Testament, 27 books that we know exactly when they were printed, um, we know exactly when they were published. And I looked at it and I realized that the order of those books is completely, totally, intentionally jumbled. And then I put them in order and I started reading them in order and I realized that's why they jumbled them up because if you read them in order, it's very, very plain and clear that the New Testament was a case of the apostles of the Christ versus the apostles of Paul. And it was Uh a Twitter war. It was a back and forth between the way of the Christ and the way of Paul. And like all history, it's written by the winners. Jerusalem got destroyed in AD 70. The original uh, Yeshua movement was destroyed for all practical intents and purposes in AD 70. And Paul's theology, Paul's history, Paul's Roman buddies won. So we have no idea what really happened in the first century of Christianity. And we don't have an idea because they've intentionally jumbled the New Testament. And we've never had the integrity or the honesty or the curiosity or the guts to put it in the right order, read it and say, hey, wait a minute, something's wrong here. And do you know why it's broken up into the little segments? Do you have do you know how that happened? You mean you know, you got your, like the chapters and all that? You got you got the chapters, that's fine. But but you know, the verses, do you know why it was broken up like that? I know it's completely arbitrary, but remind me of why exactly it was. Now this is from Patrick. So uh-huh. he said he said that someone had the text and they were on a really long trip on, on donkeys or whatever, and on that trip he 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 made the verses. He was just keeping himself occupied and awake as he was on this long trip. There was no reason for the verses. And if you read them, that's exactly what it's like. There is no rhyme or reason for where they start and where they start, you know, where they begin, where they finish. It is completely and totally arbitrary, and that makes as much sense as any expl- other explanation I've heard. But to the idea that it is with volition and with intention, and on purpose they'd done this to us. And I don't know if it's shame on them for doing it, Barbara, or shame on us for not realizing that it was done to us. Well, when you, when you look at, at church and churches, it, it, is, it is one of, of our corporations, and, and, and we're feeding them, and we're getting nothing from it because from i i served in the pulpit for five years as well um not as many as you did but um but it it's it's almost as though their their job is to get a message out there to frighten the people to bring them back for the next week so you can pass the collection plate again and that's wrong that in my opinion and it's just my opinion and it's just for me um I believe that spirituality should be free. That's why why my website doesn't sell anything. It's just all out there. It's free to anybody that wants to look at it or use it or whatever. Um, I believe that, that, that any help 
that you can give somebody who's on a spiritual journey you know, should be given freely. And, and I'm not saying that it's, I do readings. I mean, I do do readings, but you can't pay for one on my website. That's a teaching site. And I just, I, I believe that the spirituality is not a religion. It's a practice and a way of life. And I don't see any point for religions. Now, Judaism is a history, and and I, I do believe that it's a, it's a history of a people. And but you know, I don't buy, um, you know, the the first part of the Bible. I mean, theoretically, Jesus was the God of the Old Testament, and he came back to make nice nice with us in the New Testament. It doesn't make sense to me. Doesn't I'm make sense at all. I agree with you 100. <laughs> percent doesn't make sense, you know, one bit of sense. But I've, the more I know about religion, and I, you know, I, for 20 years, I was all about religion. And now it's been about, and I'm over 10 years learning about spirituality. And I've come to the place, you know, on or September 16th, uh, 2017, where I'm more and more convinced that religion and spirituality are mutually exclusive. You can't be religious and be spiritual. You can't be spiritual and be religious because they just cancel each other out. So you really have to make a decision if you're going to be a religious person or a spiritual person, in my opinion. Um, it, it, you know, I, I would say that, that you could probably lend the two, but religion will always be restrictive and it will always be um, exclusive, and it's like it's like fraternities and sororities. And and when I was in college, I was in a sorority. I would never join one now. But but at the time, it was it was like it gave me a feeling of family. And religion does that for people. And some people need to have that. And I I think originally, in my opinion, and, and I want everybody to understand, Jeffrey and I are both saying, in my opinion a lot here. So, so this is nothing that we want to throw down anybody's throat. We're putting thoughts and philosophies out there. What works for you, take what doesn't work for you, move on. Um, but it, to me, it's kind of, um, it's a sense of, I don't feel I have to go to a building to be close to my creator. I can talk to him any place and, and churches, and religions have become corporate entities. They take money, and, and I, I know at one point my son um, contributed to a third world country through the church as a Christmas present to me. And I asked him what third world country it was. He didn't know. I asked him where it was. He didn't know. I said, but you got the tax write-off, right? And he said, oh, yeah. And you got credit with the church for tithing. And he said, oh, yeah. Now, I, what is the church for? What does that give you? It, it, it's, it's a false sense of security that you're saved because you're giving money and, and any idiot can whip out their wallet or credit card. I'm sorry. That doesn't save you. It, it takes money out of your mouth if it's your food money. I, I've seen people that give their food money into the collection plate. Please feed your children. You have to, but you can't buy your way into the hereafter. It doesn't work. There is no place I know of that is taking, you know, keeping tally of the amount of money you give to a religion, and says, oh yeah, you gave a lot here. You know, welcome in. 
you know, you, you can go to middle housing there. I mean, it doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. And, it really doesn't. And when you were describing it at the beginning, how, you know, religion makes people, you know, have a sense of belonging, it gives them a chance, you know, to have a sense of family, you know, it gives them a chance to have, you know, common rituals and things with people. I wasn't sure, Barbara, if you were talking about joining a church or joining a gang. Same thing. Same thing. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing. I mean, you know, you can get arrested if you're in a gang. Of course, these days you can get arrested if you do something through a church too. So, um, and, and, and when you look at um, what's happening with the, with the Catholic church specifically, but, but with ministers, uh, child abuse and things like that. I, you know, I, I look at, I, and I have nothing against the Catholic church except um, I, I believe religion existed to give people a sense of direction. I, I believe that, that somewhere along the line, uh, way back when, when we were just, just beginning to evolve into communities that having a, a religious service cemented um, a group of people into a unified um, family so that they could, they, they could protect one another from, from the elements and from things that were, were harmful. But, but we've given so much power to those entities at this point in time that they've, they've run away. They've become corrupt with the power, with the money, and they no longer are taking care of us. They, they're, they're no longer watching over our spiritual development and evolution. They are, I don't know what they're doing. I know the Catholic Church is, you know, putting satellites up there, but, but there are people starving. The Catholic Church is rich. I mean, way richer than, than a lot of us, and yet there are people still starving. If, if these churches were truly out to help humanity, why aren't they serving humanity? Why are they taking our money and... I don't know, printing new Bibles. I don't know. That's a great question. And, you know, my, you know, I'm all for the separation of church and state, Barbara. And I believe, you know, all these churches, they all say the same thing. They're for the separation of church and state. So I say, let's really separate church and state. Let's get rid of the 501c3 exemption for religious organizations. If you really want to be separate from the state, then be separate from the state. Pay your taxes just like everybody else. Then maybe I'll listen to you. But until you really want to be separate from the state, don't start talking to me about separation of church and state because it falls on deaf ears because it sounds a whole lot like hypocrisy to me. Well, and, and in, in a lot of these churches, um, it, it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm also a medium, and so every, every now and then I do spirit circles and I talk with people that have crossed over and stuff like that. And I was working with a lady and she, her mother was um, uh, almost fanatical. <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it. And when she crossed over, the thing that was most important for her was to go to church services. So of course she did. And she was angry at one point because the same message was being being preached in every one of the denominations, in every one of the churches, cathedrals, synagogues, temples, um, 
you know, just it was the same message. And she said, no, no, it, it should be a special message for us. And and it took her a while to realize that the same message applied to everybody. It wasn't just a, for a specific group. It was for everyone. And I, I think that that's, and I'm not saying we should have, you know, like a one-payer system. I don't feel that we should have one religion. We have different languages. We have different cultures. I, it, I, I'm all for diversity. But when you when you set yourself apart and say, well, we'll be saved. We're the ones that are going to, you know, we're 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 the ones that are going to go to heaven or whatever. I, I th- that's wrong because everybody's going. Even the bad guys are going. And, and that's why I I just sat there in such disbelief to listen to, you know, a leading Christian eschatologist start off with eight million to get himself down to less than five hundred thousand. <laughs> acceptable i'm like are you kidding me and george story was he was aghast and it's just it's it's amazing to think that there's really people that believe that their god is that exclusive and it, it's so sad the divide and conquer and the you know the the them and the us and you can just see how it plays into the hands of whoever it is that's spilating the strings and you know pulling us around like marionettes if we could just keep us fighting each other, then we don't ever realize who the real enemy is. And if we uh-huh. would ever get together long enough, then we can, I'm convinced that's why they tell us don't ever talk about politics and religion. Those are the two things you don't talk about. Cause if you do start talking about them, you start realizing, Hey, wait a minute, we got a lot more in common than we do uh, different from each other. And this politics and this religion thing, it sure sounds like, uh, two wings on the same bird and they don't want us figuring this stuff out, Barbara. So that's why they tell us not to talk about it. Well, when you, when you stop and think about it, I mean, there, there are many different names attributed to God, you know, lots and lots and lots of them, but they all are referring to the same consciousness or entity, many names, many names, but they're all referring to the same God. Someday, everybody's going to understand that it doesn't matter what church you're in or synagogue or temple or, or, or if you're a druid or a pagan out in the fields, if you're, if you're praying to a creator, you're praying to the same thing, but you're also praying to that part inside of yourself and the recognition that you are a part of that wonderful, magnificent consciousness that that is responsible for all of this i mean every now and then i'll sit down and say i you know you've made a few mistakes here i'm taking notes when i die we're talking but you know it it's it all does work out it but really it just, does it it just to me it 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 baffles me to think that 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 some people i i said to my son once he said mom when when rapture happens where do you want to be and i said i want to be in the biggest born again church i can i can find and he said well you know you're not getting taken up even if you're in the crowd and i said no no i understand that and he said well, why would you want to be there and i said cuz i want to sit back and check out all the hypocrites that are left behind um <laughs> yeah he didn't Absolutely. laugh <laughs> He didn't laugh, but but it, it's sort of like uh, it, it it you don't have to do something special to be a part of the whole. You have to just be. Absolutely. And you have, 
and you have to be the best you can be and you have to treat your, your fellow man the same way. And, um, it's, it's, it's a struggle. It really is. And, and getting back to, to, um, to revelations and, and what's happening on the 23rd, it's, it's going to be another one of those. And by the way, the vertigo you, you, you sense is it usually, um, is indication is an indication that the night prior you you've been given a download of material spiritually speaking and that that your consciousness is is sort of um taking the time to to file it away until it until you're ready to open it and use it and stuff like that but 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 what what seems to be happening here is that 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 we're coming to a time where we have greater opportunities to open ourselves up to some of the magic that we carry within and and we do carry amazing magic inside of us it's it's really it's quite profound and we have capabilities that that we haven't even you know touched or or started to embrace but the reality is we don't get to, to do the magic we don't get the toys until we make that connection with the spirit that's within and, and subtly that spirit influences us through us through inspiration and through coincidence and through, um, you know, subtleties that happen within our lives. And, and we're at a time now when they are becoming more and more profound and it's, it's, it's an amazingly wonderful time to be on the planet because so much is going on. And, and I'm not talking politically, I'm talking spiritually. And uh, while, while we, we have this, this occurrence coming up on the 23rd, it, it, will, it will awaken people. There are going to be people that suddenly go, whoa, wait a minute, I feel different. What's going on? And there's a shift inside. And, and it's, it's very exciting. And, and it may take people's entire lifetimes here on the planet, you know, this time to, to really come to terms with it all. But, but I love the fact that, that, you know, people like you are out there talking about, about all of the stuff, but by the way, how did you get the name whistleblower? Um, actually someone went on one of the big radio shows and used it derisively of me. He said, Oh, he's, He's just like the Edward Snowden of the New Testament. He's just a whistleblower. And I ah. heard it, and I thought, you know what? I really like that. So I appropriated it and turned it around and uh, have used it. Uh, what they meant for evil, I try to use for good. <laughs> well, uh, no, I think it's very appropriate. I think that that what you're you're doing is is helping people to realize that that they have to go within, that they are responsible for everything that happens in their life and that, that you can't blame other people. You have to take responsibility, embrace it and move on. And, and I, I, you know, I've caught some of your podcasts, not as many as I would have liked to, but you, you go on at weird times. You can't set the clock by you. <laughs> no, you know, I've got, um, I've got uh, over 800 videos on that YouTube channel now. And I usually put out at least four a day, sometimes, six, seven, or eight. I, I only sleep five hours a day, Barbara, so I feel a real a real urgency to <clears throat> get as much information out there for as many people as possible to be able to get all the information, process all the information, and decide, make their own decision based on what they want to do. Because I learned a long time ago that a man 
or a woman convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. And it doesn't become real until they make that decision and that light goes on in their brain, in their spirit, in their heart for their, for themselves. Not because of what some whistleblower or whatever he calls himself told them to do. Well, I always, I always think that if I can plant a seed of doubt, so people question and research that I've done my job well, and, and I, I do believe that you're doing the same thing. But if you had to take it down to just one message, what would it be that you really want, you really hope that people grasp and, and, and then apply to their lives? Just one message. I think, without a doubt, it would be the idea that religion teaches you that you've got original sin within. You're born with original sin. But the Christ teaches you that you've got the spark of divinity within. And when you realize that you don't have inherent sin, you get off this, this paradigm they have. You know, David Icke talks about his uh, problem-reaction-solution paradigm. Well, uh-huh. religion has one that's called sin, salvation, savior paradigm. You're convinced you've got, you're full of sin. You're convinced you need salvation, and you've got to have a savior. And guess what? They've got the only one. So when you realize that you don't have original sin, that you've got the spark of divinity within, it changes your entire paradigm. You can get rid of that guilt. You can get rid of that fear. And you can begin to approach the divine in, in, in confidence and with the knowing that you're part of something. And there's not somebody waiting to shoot you with a lightning bolt if you, go, if you do something <laughs> wrong. You're not filled with original sin. You've got the spark of divinity within. And I just encourage people, hang on to that and stay fearless, my friends. It, 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 it's true. I think that so many people are using religion to frighten people. And it's, it's a shame because, again, the original teachings taught love and compassion. And, and it, it, it's very sad to see how far, how far a lot of the churches have, have departed from that message. Jesus never taught fire and brimstone, ever. He taught love and acceptance and, and, you know, I mean, his message was always love. So that, so that for, again, it's, it's mostly, it's Paulism. Um, it should, I, I don't know. I guess they went with Christianity because it sounded better than Paulism. But uh, why is that? I, well, he used Christ as the, as the, as the head honcho, I guess is why. But it, it right. it's, it's so sad. Message can be so mutilated over 2,000 years. It really is. It's very sobering, and it is very sad. And it just shows us how easily manipulated we are and how prone we are to this whole idea of the Stockholm Syndrome where you know, we, we can be fed a line of lies for so long that not only do we begin to believe it, but when someone comes along with the message of liberation – will actually fight against that message of liberation and fight on the side of our conquerors. And one of the most profound illustrations of this I ever saw, there's a movie that's probably at least 10 years old now. It has uh, Anthony Hopkins and Cuba Gooding Jr. And I think it's called Instinct. It's about this, um, the guy that works with animals, I don't know what they're called, anthropologists? No, 
But anyway, he, he works with apes, with gorillas, and he's living with a family of gorillas, and some government agents come in, and they start shooting these gorillas, so he actually kills one of the guys. So he goes to jail, and it's a weird situation that works out where he's trying to help with this one gorilla, and there's this big, massive gorilla in this cage, and he's been in this cage for years. I can't remember how many, but this massive, powerful gorilla, and Anthony Hopkins opens the door to the cage and leaves it wide open. And him and Cuba Gooding Jr. are standing there and, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. is scared to death. But Anthony Hopkins knew that that gorilla, even though he could have taken easily walked out of that cage, he could have killed both of them. He could have been free and run out, but he was so this gorilla, this powerful massive animal was so conditioned to being in that cage that not only would he not walk out, but he was afraid and cowering in the corner and didn't actually feel good again until the cage door was locked once again. So we are that gorilla. We're powerful. <laughs> we can do great and amazing things. I'm trying to swing a door open for people to realize this and understand all they have to do is walk out. But so many times, and it's so sad, what people do is they'll walk to the door, grab that cage door and slam it shut again because they just don't want the responsibility or they just can't handle the concept of being free. And it's so sad because the Christ said that he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And what goes along with that, Barbara, is, you know, a lot of people say, oh, the Christ said the truth will set you free. No, that's not what he said. He said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if you don't know truth, it has no liberating power. So that's my job is to try to get as many people as possible to have a working knowledge and an understanding of truth. And then they can decide if they want to walk through that open cage or not. I can't, I can lead people to water. I can't make them drink. I can lead people to objective truth. I can't make them think I can open cage doors, but I can't make people walk through them. And I've learned enough in my years, Barbara, I don't try to go in and grab the gorilla by the ear and pull it out through the cage anymore. Because that doesn't end up well for either one of us. Well, I think that, that what happens is it, it, you're, you're absolutely, it, it's true. When you think, though, of the original Christians who were willing to die for their belief, Christians today would not. I mean, there were people I, that, that rather than, rather than, you know, betray their belief system and the words that, that they truly believed, they died. Christians today just open their checkbooks and give more money. It's sad. And I think those early Christians, you know, they had a real understanding of what you talked about early in our broadcast here, that we're just, you know, we're spiritual beings in the midst of a, a profoundly brief human experience. And those people understood that there was something much more profound uh, beyond this life and that death was really only a gateway. And we could almost argue that it was a, a graduation. So they weren't worried about losing this and, life because they knew there was a better thing to come. Well, well, to be kind of also fair, they also lived in the time of Christ. So many of them had seen him, experienced him and, and realized the profundity that, that, you know, he had within his personage and, and what he was able to radiate and share 
with people. And, you know, the, the, um, the magic that he did, the, the, um, the miracles that he did, you know, were basically, again, to get the attention of people and to show them that, 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 you know, if you, if you touch into that part of yourself that you can do what I've done, it's, it's, it's not magic. It's, it's something that you have the capability for and uh, not, not, not a whole lot of people have been able to replicate that level of connection to the spirit within, but that's the spirit that we carry within has access to universal cosmic consciousness has, you know, if you can hit and make the connection to that spirit and hold it, you are capable of, of doing almost anything. And you can defy gravity. You can you can go out of body. I mean, you can do you can do amazing things. But it's a, it's a matter of finding that bridge within you, and and making sure that it's it's a constant connection to that spirit. And so often, our physical reality, the things that we've been taught since birth, our culture, our religion, our language, our lifetimes, have clogged that bridge to the point that that. Many of many people don't even know that it's there. That's so true, and, and I'll share this with you just as a, an illustration. And you know, we didn't get this 100% right. I wish we would have. There's still a lot of people that suffered. But when we, when uh, Irma was a Category Five, sitting there almost to become the first Category Six storm in history. You know, I got in on my mind that we could, at the 11 minutes after every hour, we could do a group consciousness intention and speak to that storm and convince her, you know, their, their female names to stay over the water, to reduce, you know, strength, uh, to, to not harm any people. And it was a Category 5, almost a 6 at that time. And like I said, unfortunately, it did hit some people and we, you know, we weren't a hundred percent successful, but by the time that storm hit here in the Tampa Bay area, had gone from an almost category six storm to really just thunderstorm Irma. And to be fair, uh, George Norrie also did the same thing on Friday, the Friday before it hit Florida. I'm convinced George listens to my show because every now and then he'll pick up some things, <laughs> but it's just an example that and George has been so good to me. I mean, he's had me on coast several times. He wrote the the uh, forward to my first book. I think he's a a great broadcaster. And it just goes to show that even you know maybe I have 125,000 people with my Twitter and and the YouTube that we're able to do that. But when you put you know George's audience, which numbers in the millions, together with it, we were able as people to move through the ether and with a focused intention. You know, did did it happen? All I know is that it was Category 5 when we started. By the time we finished, it was just a thunderstorm here in Central Florida. So I think that, you know, the, and where I got that idea was the Christ conned that storm. He said, peace be still to a storm. And then he said, the things that I've done, you will do, and even greater things. So, I, you know, I dared to believe that we could do it. And I'm, you know, pretty, uh, pretty pleased with uh, how that worked out. I wish that it could have been more successful and that no one would have had any encounters with that storm. But I think it just is a, a little s snippet of the possibilities that we have when we join together in our spiritual intention. And that really is, I mean, intention, focus, intention is nothing more than what uh, 
people used to call magic. Oh yeah, and it's it's really it, it, that it's true that that when you get group energy together, amazing things can actually happen. And so long as you know you're you're pooling and there is no um, struggle for leadership or power or whatever, and you know you get people together and and sometimes there is a power struggle there and that does kind of sort of dissipate stuff, but the group energy is capable of doing a great many things. And, and it is unfortunate that so much devastation did happen, but um, you know, I, the weather um, for some reason, the weather, this next 12 month timeframe is, is, is going to be horrendous for a lot of places. So, um, you know, I, I guess, I, I just got to notice that uh, Jose's winds are going to be hitting Connecticut on Tuesday. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's going to be an amazing hurricane season. It's, it's not, it's not being half over, I don't think, or, or there's a lot more of it to come. I guess it's a better way to put it, but our, our planet is, in Connecticut, that's amazing. Oh yeah. Hurricanes have hit up here a lot. Um, I lived in Westchester in New York and we got hit by hurricanes frequently. Uh, it was no big, it was not an unusual circumstance to find 40 foot boats on the rocks at the end of the street. So yeah, it's not quite, you know, it, it has to cross Long Island to hit Long Island Sound to, to, you know, then manifest where I was, but yeah, hurricanes hit up here, but the worst storms up here, are the nor'easters, they're horrific. But but no matter where you are, there's always going to be, you know, weather, you know, impacting your lives. And, and when you, you look at it, the planet as a whole has the four seasons. And every time we hit a solstice time, there are shifts and changes that, that so many people feel and react to. And I think that, that coming forward in time, we're going to find humanity as a whole is going to be pulling closer and closer towards nature and becoming more stabilized within, within the, the seasons and, and certainly the uh, eclipses and the full moons and the solstices, because there is a, a greater sense of needing to live in harmony with the planet. Certainly those cultures that were here before the pilgrims invaded North America, um, they were very in tune with, with the seasons and the earth mother, and they were very respectful of the earth mother and humanity has, has taken a step back, unfortunately. And, you know, we've, we've not been as attentive to the planet that supports us. And hopefully we will become more and more so with time. I think that's one of the the big things that hopefully is going to, come into our minds as we, you know, sense a new a new emergence of the divine feminine and the and the sacred feminine. And it should hopefully help us to begin to be cognizant once more of the sacred earth and to really begin to think about ourselves not as having dominion over earth, but really as being stewards over earth and you know, realizing that the earth is a living, breathing being and many would say uh, she's a living, breathing goddess, and we need to begin to, you know, treat our earth and our environment with that type of a, uh, with that type of a reality. Or sooner, 
probably rather than later, if we keep going the way we're going, you know, the earth, as you said, has a way of, of cleansing itself of <laughs> things that uh, continue to destroy it. And we may not be quite as important as we fancy ourselves to be in the great cosmic scheme of things. Well, you know, that's, that, that's a very good possibility. We started with single cells and, and we could return to them. I, I would, I would hope not. I would hope that this go round humanity has a better sense of understanding and how we apply our spiritual awareness to the cosmic laws and the universal energies and come to a better balance within the cosmos because frankly I don't see humanity getting out to the stars until we we learn how to take care of each other first. You know, it's funny, I you know, I do a lot of the same type of work that you do and people wanna they come to me, well, hey, how do I get into the astral realm? Teach me how to go into the astral, teach me how to be a you know, an astral nod. And the fact of the matter is <laughs> before you can start going around in the astral, you need to have your together here in the in the physical and in the mundane. And you know, everybody wants a microwave solution. They wanna, you know, press two minutes and boom. You know, they're they're able to be, you know, a, a traveler, but it's it's so real. We have to really, you know, find ourselves, ground ourselves, become proficient in this life and learn to love each other. And I mean, what did the Christ say? He said the two most important things are number one, love yourself, and number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And everything else he said hinges upon those two things. And that's absolutely impossible. If you believe you're filled with original sin, how can you love yourself if you think you've got original sin? But if you know that you've got the spark of divinity within, it all makes sense. Now I can love myself because I know I've got the divinity there. Now I can love everybody else because I know they've got the same divinity in them. And when we're doing that, then everything else that the Christ taught us, showed us, and gave us example for can come to fruition and, and realization and that's why when you ask me what's the most important thing, I think those are, you know, those two truths that you're not filled with original sin. You've got the spark of divinity within love yourself and your neighbor. Christ said, that's the key. And I have to believe that he knew what he was talking about. At least that's my story. And I'm sticking to it, Barbara. <laughs> well, you know, it was one of his disciples that asked him, apparently um, it, it gets confusing when you realize that, that Moses on the mountain got 612 commandments that they were supposed to follow and, and how much you could sell your daughter for and to not wear two different kinds of cloth at the same time. I mean, it, it was, it was the, the laws, if, if you want to have a good laugh, go read them sometime. There's 612 of them or 613. Now it's 612 or 613. And, and Christ said to him, you know, just love, love yourself and love your neighbor and forget all, and he literally said, forget all the rest. So, he did. So he said, you know, just forget all the rest. You know, don't pay any attention to them. Just do those two, and, and you'll have a full, rich life and, and, and be happy and content. And, and it's true. It's, it's, it's such a, you know, I think, Jeffrey, if we made it difficult, people would be more intrigued by it. You know, I'm I'm chuckling because it's it's so true. Yeah, I mean, if 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 we if we said to somebody, look, you know, I can I can give you true happiness, however, it's going to take years to study and it's 
going to be terribly hard work and you're going to sweat and you're going to struggle and you're going to, you're going to go through hell for 20 years. Um, People would sign up in a heartbeat. But the simple truth is just those two little laws, you follow those and you've got it made. And, and, and it's not as easy as it sounds, by the way, I might, I might point out that, that those two simple truths are, are very hard to apply to the kind of reality we live in. But, but just trying to apply them gets you halfway there, or more than halfway there, probably. It's but, like, uh, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, that's for sure. And, you know, it all starts off with, you know, like the Christ said, having ears that are willing to hear and having eyes that are willing to see. And in today's day and age, you know, after the 2,000 years of indoctrination and the 2,000 years of rule by of, of fear and guilt matrix, it's almost come to the point where now not only do you have to have ears to hear and eyes to see, but you have to have ears that are willing to unlearn and eyes that are willing to unsee because you've got to unlearn a lot of error before you can get yourself in position to be able to receive truth. And, you know, again, Twain's words are so large to me. It's much easier to fool someone than, than to convince them they've been fooled. But again, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying. No. And you do an amazing job. You really do. I think your podcasts are great. Um, the, the ones that I've, I've been able to catch and, you know, I, I will continue to try catching you. It's, it's hard to do, but, but if you go to YouTube, I really should Jeffrey, do a schedule, Barbara, you're right. I really should schedule some things. Well, yeah, because, you know, if I knew when different topics were going to be up there, I, I could schedule myself around your schedule. But, but at this point I wait for a bing on, in my email that says you're going live. I don't know what you're going live on, but you're going live and you know, it, it's always enjoyable. It's always fun. And it's I think that's one of the reasons I do all these interview shows because I love um, I, I love learning from people that, that know more than I do about certain topics. And, and I, fi- I find I'm always learning from, from someone that I have on the show. No matter what the topic is, I, I am enhancing and, and expanding my own consciousness and my own frame of references. And, and I, I truly believe that, that possibly I share something with them so they walk away with something as well. Because, you know, that makes for a great interview. If it's just one person going down the, you know, the the talk subjects that they've been handed and somebody's giving back, you know, answers that they've given 400 million times, that's not entertaining. But that's why I don't script this. That's why I, you know, you know, we have a topic and we did start, we did touch on it very, you know, a, a couple of times for sure. But but I would rather let the conversation have a life of its own. And, and if I'm learning and and everybody who's listening is learning, then we've planted seeds. And that's, you know, that's, you know, our job is done. You know, we, we, we have to nurture the seeds that we planted inside of ourselves. But every, And everybody has to do that themselves. It's kind of like you plant the seeds, but you're not supposed to cultivate it and water it and harvest, you know, and harvest it for them. They have to do that. And when they're ready, they do. And sometimes, sometimes I I have thought, you know, crap, nobody listened to that show. And it was so spectacular. 
And then I go back and I, I, I realize that thousands of people have listened to it. And it gives me hope. <laughs> it does. It's always nice to see that. I, I can I'm completely empathize with what you're saying. It's definitely true. Well, you have you have a lot of people that absolutely are are learning, and you know you're sending them back to the Bible, which is good, and, and you're you're putting them more in touch with the real truth that is there. And um, you know the only argument is, you know, what what do they say? It's 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 the victors that write the history. So you know a lot, of, and again, that's where I come in with it's a lot of it's allegory, but but the teachings of Jesus are are pure. They truly are. They're they're worth they're worth reading. They're worth studying. They're worth applying them to your lives. And the rest of it, some of it's history, and some of it's good, and some of it's not so good. It, you know, I I often say it was a bunch of old men with long beards that had nothing better to do with their lives than to sit and you know write write on tablets to preserve what they believed was history. And then other, so old, other old guys with turbans and stuff came in and, and added their two, two cents or four cents or whatever. Um, there, there aren't a lot of gospels according to women, but there are. There, there actually are. They just aren't where you can really read them more so. Well, there are, there, there are a few in the Bible, but but it, it's 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 not a balance. It's it's not the whole story. And and for somebody to to base their entire belief system on a book that is not complete is a sad thing. It definitely is. And you know, we're at, at this place now where, you know, now it's guys with YouTube channels that are just regurgitating stuff they've been told by other people. And even the, the studious nature of it to a great extent is gone. But, I mean, the September 23rd, 2017 Revelation 12 sign is not a once in a 7,000-year occurrence. It's something that's rather mundane. I mean, they talk about you know, the woman with uh, clothed with the sun. She's clothed with the sun every single September. You talk about the moon <laughs> under her feet. The moon isn't even really under her feet if you look at the alignment. It's off to the side of it. On her head's a crown of 12 stars. Well, uh, that constellation actually has hundreds of stars in it. And the 12 stars that these guys are picking out is really nine bright stars. And they had to import three planets and call them stars. So it's all made up. It's all uh, hocus pocus. And it's designed to keep you worried about a future tribulation, a future rapture, a future antichrist. And it's really there to take your mind off of great and profound things that are happening with the rise of the sacred feminine and the balance of the divine feminine and the divine masculine. And it's not seven years of tribulation to be worried about. It's seven years of jubilation and growth and development and spiritual ascension to celebrate. I mean, I'm convinced, Barbara, that it's not necessarily going to be easy, but I think I've read the last page in the book and we win. (laughs) I do believe we do. And, and it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's sort of like as as this whole generation of spirits passes over and crosses the veil and, and sits back and you know, sits down and has a beer or someplace comparing notes, they're they're going to go, wow, that was 
that was mind boggling. It's a good thing we weren't on drugs and, you know, they'll have time to, to assimilate whatever they, they need to. And then they'll come back here with greater insight and, and hopefully it's a, it's a, it's a greater clarity of understanding of the spirit within and a greater connection to it. Certainly our connection to spirit is greater than, um, a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago, it's 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 something that is that is slowly emerging into the consciousness. Um, you know, thousands of years ago, it was in this it, it was in the subconscious. Now, now the fact that we have that spirit within us is 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 a reality for so many of us, and it means that 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 we have the the full potential and the wisdom of time to apply to our lifetimes and 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 greatly and it doesn't but but it does mean you're going to experience joy and that's better it truly is i've i've been rich and i'll take joy any day you can't you can't buy joy but money can do a lot of stuff but it can't buy you joy and and Great wealth without joy is is worthless. It's totally worthless. But we are Very we are well at said. the end. Very profound. We are at the end almost of two hours. Can you believe that? It was a great time. I appreciate you having me. It's my pleasure. Well, and I look forward to um, October when you, when you're going to be back again. Uh, this time on Freedom Slips, and um, you know I will by then have had a chance to read all your other books. So that so that we can um, we can talk about the philosophy of of what's going on, and and we can also reflect back on what did not happen on the twenty third. Well, I look forward to that. I'm I'm with great confidence that we'll still be here in October, Barbara. So I look forward to being with you again. Yeah, no, I I you know it. To be honest with you, I wasn't aware of of this particular date until you mentioned it, and I thought, "Wow, I how could I have missed this?" Because I really try to keep up on you know the end of the world and stuff like that. And <laughs> it wasn't in my calendar. Well, it's encouraging and, that you did miss it. It's encouraging that you did miss it. That may it's not as widespread as uh, some would think that it is. I mean, I scheduled you know, radio shows into January and, and if the world was ending, heck, you know, I I've made promises to a lot of people that I in that this lifetime I'm not going to be able to keep. So. Uh well, once again, Barbara, thanks so much for having me. I look forward to being back with you in October. And if anybody needs to find me, just go to YouTube and put in Jeff Darty or Christian Whistleblower and you'll find more than you want to know. Trust me. Well, that's true. You cover uh, such a wide variety of topics. It's really quite exciting. I'm not sure how you hop from topic to co- topic to topic, but um fascinated with what you're going to do with the Apocrypha and um fascinated actually to see how you how you how much you get out of Patrick's other two books because they're they're fun too. They are. I'm looking forward to them devouring them as we speak. Well, I will I will look forward to being with you again in October. I will try to pick up on some of your podcasts. Uh, uh, you know, a schedule would be fabulous. And um, until, then, until then, Jeffrey, thanks an awful lot and good night. My pleasure. Thank you. Good night. Good night, everybody. And thank you so very much for being with us tonight.
we definitely had a great time talking. I hope you had a great time listening. We will um, be back on Block Talk shortly. Until then, you can catch me on freedomslips.com. Take care now and have a great evening, everybody. Good night. And now, insurance-minded speeches from GEICO. Hardship. My grandmother would go through it every month to pay her insurance bill. First, she would handwrite a paper check, in cursive. Then, using her own tongue, she would wet a stamp for an envelope. Today, however, we need not weary our hands and tongues. Today, we can pay our GEICO bill with the GEICO app. Away with hardship, in with bill pay on the GEICO app. Thank you.